Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles, open up to Matthew 5, alright? Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we are continuing this teaching series that we've been in for uh, three weeks now. This is week four, uh, uh, entitled, What Did Jesus Say? And the whole focus of this teaching series is to encounter hard subjects within the Christian faith, really uh, specific pieces of who we are called to be um, as followers of Christ and asking the question, what did Jesus actually teach us about this? And so we've been in Matthew 5 quite a bit, uh, and the reason for that is Matthew 5 through 7 is a teaching commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to walk as followers of him, and how to be about God's kingdom rather than this earthly kingdom that we are in, okay? So as part of this, we, we encounter each subject, but I want to challenge you as the church for a moment Because we can easily encounter a teaching series like this and then walk away from it and go, "Uh, yeah, we talked about that once, but I just I, I thought about it while we were in the midst of that teaching and I haven't really thought about it since. This should be a question that you are asking every single day when we are wondering, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to encounter this situation, whether good or bad? I should be asking the question, what did Jesus say? And we can easily become confused because there's all these other voices pouring into our lives, whether it be media or friends or family or you fill in the blank. That we can start asking, what did so-and-so say, or how did they encounter this, rather than going back to the only source of truth and the very person who we are called to become more like. And I don't know about you, but if uh, I was striving to become like someone else, uh, and I just decided not to actually study or listen to anything that they said, I'm going to have a really hard time doing that. That would be like me saying, I'm going to follow my GPS, and yet I'm going to ignore everything my GPS tells me to do. And then I get to the end of my route, and I go, why am I not at my destination? Because you didn't actually study or follow the right thing. All right? So, when we encounter this together, we need to be asking the question, what did Jesus say? And specifically today, we're going to be asking the question, what did Jesus say about anger? Oh, man. Buckle up. Here we go. So now I'm curious. This is a great icebreaker in this. And you know me. uh, Those of you who know me know I love to involve you in participation. So I'm going to ask you a question and I'm just going to speak out the answers. Those of you online, type your answers um, and I will try to catch as many as I can so we can all hear them. What is it that just really gets under your skin? It could be anything, even the things that are really, really silly that you really shouldn't be bothered by. What is it? Just speak out. What is it that gets under your skin? It just makes you boil. Speak them out. 
People not using their blinkers. <laughs> yes, I concur. So, so funny story about this is a total sidebar, but this reminded me of a really amazing story as a dad that just makes me laugh. So I, I do not get road rage bad, but when people do things, I can be sarcastic. And one of the things I used to say a lot is when someone would turn without using their turn signal, I would say, nice turn signal. Well, anyway, when we were in Oregon, where I pastored for five years, I was driving one time. And at the time, my middle daughter was about two or three years old. And uh, I, I was driving and something frustrated me. I don't even remember what it was. And I went, oh, seriously. And from the back seat, I hear these words, nice turn signal. And I went, oh no, okay Lord, I get it, listening ears. Anyway, that's a side one. So anyway, other things, what gets under your skin? There were a couple more, what is it? Chewing with your mouth open. Yes. There's other people who are like, yes. I. <laughs> Why is it that it makes you so angry? There's, I, I can be that way. For me, one of the things is is really weird, and you're not allowed to take this and do it just to annoy me because I'm transparent with you, crinkling water bottles. Oh, it drives me insane. Ah, that, that, right there. Oh, man. My kids will sit there and do that just for fun. And I, I just, it's like I get warmer. Anyway, what else? What gets under your skin? What was that? Your kids. Thank you for that honesty. I know multiple people are thinking it. Okay, sometimes your kids just get under your skin, right? And some of you may be thinking work stuff gets under your skin. All right, really all I wanted to establish here is that each one of us at some point or another struggles with the fleshly side of us that we see come out that's just angry. And whether we see that or not, it is something we encounter. And maybe even more so right now as we look at our culture, there are so many angry people. And we need to engage in this and encounter this not with a worldly mindset, but rather asking the question, what did Jesus teach us about anger? What has He taught us about dealing with with anger, and how do I engage daily so that when I respond, I'm doing so as I'm called to in Christ, not in my flesh. And so we're asking this question, what did Jesus say about anger? And so I'm going to say when it comes to anger, and I want you guys to respond, what did Jesus say? Okay, so when it comes to anger, and that's what we're going to engage in. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, is where I'm going to start. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And I'm going to read this, and then we're going to pray together that God would use this time for His purposes. Jesus is speaking here to His disciples. And He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Everyone say, whoa. 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Father, as we engage in this today, may you open our eyes to see how to be people who represent your kingdom here rather than our earthly kingdom in our flesh. Lord, convict us, challenge us, humble us, and most of all, that we would leave here with a desire to glorify you above anything else. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as as we encounter this, there's really a, a way of looking at the scriptural text here that Jesus is 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 in the midst of uh, beginning a dialogue where he he says several statements. He goes, "You've heard that it was said, but I say to you." And in the midst of this, we should be looking and reading the text of scripture and going, "Okay." Should I be following what I've heard or what Jesus is saying? And the clear answer biblically is I need to be following after what Jesus is saying. And that's exactly his intent as he's meeting with his disciples. And so I'm going to give you a couple observations that we can see in this text clearly and explain them to you a little further. So the first one of those is in God's kingdom. And we're we're going to contrast man's kingdom and God's kingdom here in God's kingdom. Anger is as visible as murder. What do I mean here? All right, I want you to step back and think about earthly leadership for a moment. So the most specific example currently in this state is we have recently experienced a the inauguration of a new administration. And when that happened... There is all these policies and all of these appointments and all of these things that take place that ultimately reveal a lot to do with the character of those leaders and the motive of what they are seeking to do. That's an observation we can make. And it's not just right now that you could make that observation. Every point in history, in every country, when there is authority, you can tell where that that authority stands based on the policies they put forth and the actions they take. Well, as followers of Christ, we really are at a juncture where we have a a choice between choosing to follow the leading of my flesh and the world around me or choosing to follow and establish a kingdom that is not yet here. The, The kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he identifies, you have heard that it was said. And what is he referring to here? Well, for the disciples and the people in this culture, they were largely influenced by the Old Testament law. For them, it was not the Old Testament. It was the Torah. It was the Mosaic law. This was what was established in Exodus chapter 20, that they went, this is the law of the land. And it's the foundation on which the religious leaders, who we call the Pharisees, built every other rule and regulation in that time. 
So it was known that these were the common rules to follow. And right smack in the midst of that was the clear instruction, you shall not murder. No one would dispute that. And in fact, in a culture today, as you look at secular culture even, there is not a majority of people who would dispute that. A majority of people, whether they're followers of Christ or not, are going to say murder is immoral. And so Jesus encountering this follows that. You you can picture the disciples here and Jesus saying, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And the disciples, you can pick, yeah, yeah, we agree with that. And 22 says, but... I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoa, hold the phone. Why is there this meshing between anger and murder here? And you may be sitting here going, there's a big difference. In whose kingdom? In mine, in my kingdom, there's a big difference between killing someone and being angry with them. The reality is, in God's kingdom, nothing is hidden. You see, murder is one of those obvious sins. And we could think of a whole long list of these. I I see you doing this, and I know that you're going to face God for this. But what about all of those things that take place behind the scenes, under the curtain of our own home? What about the things that take place in our own heart, in our own life, that nobody else knows about? In God's kingdom, you're liable for those things too. And it brings about this reality for the disciples and for us to recognize Just because someone may look great on the outside does not mean they are escaping judgment eternally. Because in God's kingdom, there's a difference. Man's kingdom is going to look at the evidence. God doesn't need evidence. He knows you. We see this in 1 Samuel when God, when when it identifies that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart, and that is not a scripture saying that God is a cardiologist. It's the word heart is for your whole being. God looks at all of you, every part of you, and everything is laid bare before him. And so in God's kingdom, when it comes to judgment, anger is just as visible as murder. Now, some people may ask, well, what does he mean by anger here? What does he mean by that? And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 what the word used there is really a settled, it's, it's a settled anger or a, a malice that is nursed inwardly. Stop and think about that for a minute. That description is so vivid. And many of you could probably stop and picture a moment when that was you. Oh, I'm spoiling. You don't even know what they've done to me. And then, you know, our brain, our brain starts traveling and adds more to it. And we kind of nurse that and, and we feed off of that. And, oh, I'm, I'm angry. And you even, some, some people, you go, you go to like the gym and they tell you, channel that anger. Use the anger. 
And so we nurse that and we, we just accept this is just a part of me. This is just a piece of me. Oh, is that my flesh or God's kingdom? Which that, that is clearly my flesh. And so Jesus bringing this into the scope of you, um, challenges the notion that anger is okay. And that somehow I, I'm good because I didn't do this. In God's kingdom, it's different. Everyone say it's different. In God's kingdom, it's different. Now, some people, when I talk about this, I, I always get the question, but what about where Scripture speaks of a righteous anger? How many of you heard that term before? A righteous anger, okay? This, this does, we do see this, but I, I'm going to give you a couple examples, okay? In Mark chapter 3, we have this instance where Jesus, it's, it's the Sabbath day, and you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders took that and they made it really, really complicated to where the rules were just outrageous, ridiculous. And Jesus encounters this man who needs healing. And Jesus, knowing the religious leaders, <clears throat> he, he challenges them. And, and essentially, I'm paraphrasing, this is in the first couple of verses, he says... Is it, is it wrong to care for this, this man? Is it wrong to heal? And what it pictures, it, it depicts all these religious leaders just staring at him, waiting for him to do something that by the, the Old Testament law he couldn't do. Really, according to their law, he couldn't do. And this is the descriptor as he looked around at them. Verse 5 of Mark 3. He looked around at them with anger, grieved why was he angry? Grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out. This is what I love about Jesus. He looks around. He knows exactly where every person is at. And in the back of his mind, you can just imagine he's going, they're going to jump all over me for this one. And then he does it anyway. He said to the man in front of all these people, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was restored. What happens? The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. I want you to recognize here the focus of Jesus' anger. It doesn't simply say Jesus looked around at them and was angry at them. He was grieved because as he looked around, he knew, he knew that their hearts were hard. And he knew that they, they were going to completely dismiss the miracle that had just happened. The testimony of God's power and his faithfulness in his son. And instead be angry because, well, you disobeyed the rules. Another instance of this where Jesus cleanses the temple in Matthew 21. And many quote that passage. And yet Jesus Focal point, his anger was because of how what was being done there tainted the name of his father. It was not a vengeful, personal, I'm going to get back at you because you are evil, wicked people. Does God allow his people to express anger? Well, Ephesians 4 answers that question. But there's a lot to it other than just anger. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and what? 
do not sin. I don't know about you, but I read this passage and I start to question whether it's really possible for me to have a righteous anger. Because when I get angry, I do not respond as I'm supposed to many times. Because I am a fleshly person in need of the grace of God. The good news is that I have a Savior. But I am far from perfect. And I come to you with this truth today, fully recognizing that I I have not mastered this church. I am a work in progress. I am a brother in Christ along with you, struggling with my flesh, desiring that I would be more like Jesus every day and less like myself. Transformed by the power of the gospel. So does God allow his people to express anger? Yes, he does. I'm going to share with you a quote that I read this past week in my studies by Tim Chalice. And I thought it was really profound as we think about how do I have a righteous anger? What does that look like? And he says, yes, God does allow people to express anger, but only under these circumstances. Number one, you're reacting against actual sin. It's not sin that you've made up in your mind. Actual biblical sin. Secondly, you're more concerned. This is hard. Everyone say this is hard. You're more concerned with the offense against God than the offense against yourself. And you are expressing your anger in ways consistent with Christian character. That's hard. But it is even harder, church, most of the time for us to admit that we're wrong in our anger. And instead, we get angry and we lash out. And it, by the way, you being angry is not somehow null and void because you typed it instead of spoke it. My goodness, people. Some of you need to exercise the same self-control you have in person on your devices. Okay? And that's just a simple truth that I'm going to share with you because it is a burden to me. And that is everywhere. Okay? That's not just isolated here. We hide behind screens and think we are justified in ripping people apart. And I'm telling you, it is wrong. It is biblically wrong for you to do so. It is not what we are called to as followers of Christ. And whether you believe it or not, you are not representing Jesus well when you blast someone on media. It's not happening. Because in God's kingdom, anger is just as visible as murder. I want you to sit with that for a minute. We should be angry over sin and evil against God. We should be angry over injustice and racism and things of the like. We should be angry over abuse. We should be angry over the perversion of God's name. 
But too often we are simply angry for our own selfish reasons and we deal with it in our own selfish way. And Jesus is communicating to his disciples, you need to understand you will be held liable for every careless word that you speak and every action of your heart that is contrary to God's desire and design. Secondly, in God's kingdom, his citizens are called to reconcile. Look at verse 23. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Understand, Jesus here is elevating the need for reconciliation with your brother or sister in Christ Over your worship. Because if you have undealt with anger and conflict in you, it hinders your relationship with God. And so he specifically emphasizes that if you go to offer your gift for them, they go to offer this sacrifice because this is pre-death of Jesus. They're still abiding by that. You go to do that. And you remember that someone has something against you. You don't... You, what, what does he say? You, you first wait for them to come and reconcile with you. Wrong. Everyone say, wrong. Wrong. It's, that's not what he said. Instead, he says, you go. You leap. And you go reconcile. Then you come and offer your gift. Praise the Lord that we don't have to have an altar set up here where you where you all are farmers and bring in your livestock here. And I'm standing up here with a knife. Because that's what what took place before Jesus. And it was bloody and it was. Gross. And yet it would had to be done. Why? Because the sin of mankind has a price. And the gospel is that Jesus paid it all. And the hope of the gospel is that this, according to Hebrews, we no longer have to consistently make sacrifice because Jesus is sufficient. And if you're here today and you don't know that, I want you to hear that Jesus is enough. No matter what you've been through, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you're struggling with right now, the only hope that we have is in Christ. And He's available if we believe that He died for me, that His sacrifice was enough, and that He rose again to show that He conquered death, and we have a hope that He's coming back again. But we often take that for granted and we go, I'm saved, I'm cleansed, I'm done. And from now on, I can do whatever I want. And while you may not say that, we often live that way. In God's kingdom, his citizens are called to reconcile. Now, as we finish up in this text, I want to give you three specific biblical focuses that we are called to as followers of Christ. Okay, and 
So the first one of those is, as followers of Christ, we are called to be peacemakers. Everyone say peacemakers. And Romans 12 is the focal point for this command. And Romans 12, in verses 14 through 18, it says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. Understand this. This is something that my wife and I communicate to our kids every day. You are responsible for you. You cannot change the behavior of someone else, but God has called you to be responsible for you. If you know of a conflict, you go be reconciled. If you know that someone is struggling against you, you do everything you can to be reconciled with that person. Because if you don't, you are liable for you. And I fully understand that some of you have encountered conflicts where you've tried and the other person doesn't want to hear it. I get that. And you can't Change that. You're not responsible for how other people reconcile with you, but you are responsible for your effort. And it's not easy. It's way easier to sit back and be angry. It's way easier to isolate and hide. It's way easier to do everything except what God has called us to. And that's exactly what your flesh will try to get you to do. Don't let that be. As followers of Christ, we're called to be peacemakers. Secondly, as followers of Christ, we are called to listen more. We're called to listen more. And there is, I, I really believe there's not a day that goes by that we can't practice this better. In James chapter 1, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You get that? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It is really true what Scripture says in Matthew 12 that The words you say reveal what is already internally brewing. What does who you are and what you say reveal about what's going on in the rest of your personhood? Thirdly, as followers of Christ, we are called to resolve our anger today. Not when I get to it. Not tomorrow. Not next year, today. In Ephesians 4, which we already were in briefly previously, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down 
on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The reality is, church, Satan loves to brew and stir up strife and conflict. Because if he can divide us, we no longer have the power of together. And as the church, we have the potential to be one of the most powerful gospels preaching, truth-filled, hope-filled, peacemaking communities in the world because of what Jesus has done. And what unites us together is not our political views. What unites us together is not our age. What unites us together is not our demographic or the color of our skin. What unites us together is Christ and His atonement. And it is complete. So that every one of us can look at another person and go, if you believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, you're my brother or sister in Christ. Man, imagine the power if every family who professed to the true gospel had that unity. Imagine the impact in our own community if that was the case. Resolve your anger today. How do I do that? Well, here's three questions to get you started. And then we're going to pray and we're going to sing one last song together. Question number one, where is there undealt with anger in my life? You need to be able to answer that question. Because at the end of each day, I should be able to answer this question with, I don't know of any. And I pray to the Lord that he would reveal if there is. Secondly, is very similar. Where is there unresolved conflict in my life? Who is it that I have snubbed or just haven't talked to because I'm mad at them? Or I think they're mad at me. Pick up the phone. Pay for someone's lunch and show the love of Christ that they don't deserve and neither do you. And lastly, if you identify areas of of that, of anger or conflict in your life, ask the question, what steps will I take Today, not what steps would I like to take, not steps what 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 should I take? What am I going to do about it right now? And I promise you, church, if you can resolve these conflicts and strive to put away the fleshly anger in you before the end of each day, you are going to be a much more joy filled person. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't get angry. It doesn't mean you won't fail. But it means that you're striving to become less like yourself and more like Jesus. And that's what we're called to. And there is so much hope in that. And so for those of you struggling in conflict, you don't know what to do, persevere. Know that I'm praying for you to persevere. And if there's a specific instance I can pray for for you, you email me this week, okay? It's just Matt, M-A-T-T, at CantonEFree.com. You email me and you let me know how I can pray specifically for you to resolve conflicts in your own life. For those of you who have done everything you can and there's no, nothing else you can do, I pray that you would still be able to show the love of Christ when opportunity arises 
but that you would also be able to say, I've done everything I can. I still love this person, but the ball is in their court. And for those of you who today are going to encounter a situation that makes your blood boil, whatever that is, I pray that you will have the self-control to stop, to think, and to ask yourself, am I responding to this the way God has called me to or in my flesh? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray together as we close this time. Father, this is heavy stuff. And Lord, we recognize that you have called us to represent your kingdom here in this world. You've called us to be ambassadors of Christ. And Lord, that is hard. It is challenging for us to put aside our own fleshly, selfish desires and to walk in newness of life. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the gospel today, the good news that we have been redeemed and that we don't deserve that. And that as we step out of this place and into a community that so desperately needs the hope of the gospel, that we would model a peace and a comfort and a hope that is rare. Lord, give us the ability to humble ourselves and to do your will here on earth. I pray this all in the name of Jesus.